Hey, this is Ginny from 1000 Hours Outside, recording our second podcast today. We're going to be talking about how to get outside even when the weather turns really cold. So we're excited to talk about that because it is one of the top questions we get asked about. What about the winter? So if you haven't yet, you can join the 1000 Hours Outside Challenge for 2019. You can actually start that whenever you want. What we're trying to do is we're trying to match nature time with screen time throughout the course of a calendar year. So whenever you start, you're just looking from that day forward to a year from then to see if you are able to match outside play with time in front of a screen, which in America, the average is 1,200 hours a year for kids, um, 1,200 hours a year of, of screen time every year. And so we're actually just aiming for 1,000. It's maybe a little bit more doable, and it's also just more catchy. So we're going for 1,000 hours outside in a calendar year. Um or you can make your own goal. Different people have different life circumstances. So it's not necessarily about the exact number as much as it is about intentionality and making sure that nature time doesn't lose out to all these other great activities that are available for kids. So you start recording your time. Um, you take back childhood and, and we make sure that children get a multitude and variety of experiences. Simply taking them outside will do that. So in addition to starting to track your time, you can also check out our 1,000 Hours Outside Facebook page, and what you'll find there are quotes and articles to keep you motivated, and it will keep this goal of spending time outside you know, in the front of your mind and help keep you motivated. So beyond the Facebook page, we have a blog. Uh, we're at 1000hoursoutside.com, and on the blog, you'll find time tracking pages. You'll find all sorts of information on how nature play helps children with their development. You will find stories from other families who've taken the 1,000 Hours Outside Challenge. You'll find tips and tricks and all sorts of stuff to keep you motivated to be outside. Beyond the blog, we also have a Facebook groups. You could join one that already exists or you could make your own. Um, and in the Facebook groups, everyone's just encouraging each other along on their journey and, and posting their pictures and their times. And if you start your own or you join a location-specific Facebook group, you might be able to find you know, the secret little spots, the cool places to take kids, places where kids will be engaged for long periods of time. So um, you could join a Facebook group. And finally, we are also on Instagram. We have a 1,000 Hours Outside Instagram account. We occasionally do giveaways. Um, so you want to make sure you're following along there. And you can use the hashtag 1,000 Hours Outside. So we're doing this thing together. And we make sure that children are not losing a huge chunk of their childhood to virtual life. So join us on those different platforms. And with that said, we're going to talk about five tips on getting outside when the weather turns cold. And this may or not may or may not pertain to you at this moment, but it may or may not pertain to you ever. We actually have some really good friends of ours. They just moved to Arizona and they were swimming on Christmas Day, swimming outside. And so, 
you know, this post doesn't pertain to everyone, or if you're on the other side of the world, it might not pertain to you for several months. So, um, but it will be here to help those who really struggle getting outside when it's cold. And it is really a valid issue. Cold air can bite the skin and those frigid temps, it's just uncomfortable. So, you know, what can we do to still get outside? We live in Michigan, we're in the United States, and we have four to five months of the year where it's pretty cold. And then we have two to three months where it's it's frigid cold. And, you know, the temperatures are below freezing, often for weeks on end. But we can still get outside. And there are a lot of people following the 1,000 hours outside challenge and who have taken part that you know, live in places where it's even colder than that and live in places where it's colder than that for longer than a couple of months. And they are out, you know, snowshoeing and out with their toddlers and everybody is still getting outside. So it's certainly doable. And it's just not an option for us to keep our children cooped up and inside for four to five months. We have to figure this thing out. Children need movement and they need fresh air. They need light from the sun into their eyes, and that goes right to their brains. It helps with mood, and it helps with the circadian rhythm. So we just um, can't make the choice to stay inside simply because of cold temperatures. So once you start getting outside in the winter, you'll find that it's really not as overwhelming as it seems. One of the first and, and sort of foremost, and really I would say probably the most important thing to consider when you're getting outside in the winter um, is the location. So certainly in the winter, we play in our yard a lot more because the kids can go out and come in and warm up. In fact, this whole week, that's all that we've done is we've played in our yard in in some smaller spurts. And, um, you know, when they get too cold, they can come inside and, and recharge for a bit. So, um, the home is a, a good location. Beyond our home, the other places that we go in the winter have the criteria that there is a building, an indoor building. So we only go to outdoor locations that have an indoor option. Location really is the biggest key, I think, to getting outside in any time of the year, really. If you pick the wrong type of location... It's really possible you might have a miserable time. Um, There are certain things in certain places that we go only during certain seasons of the year. So I'll give you an example. Not far from our house, there's this fabulous state recreation area. It's called Proud Lake State Recreation Area. It is one of our absolute favorite places to go. We go dozens of times within a calendar year. So let me tell you what some of the things that this this day recreation area has. It has a one-mile, flat, wide loop hike. So it's absolutely perfect for every age child. It's great for toddlers. It's great for strollers. Um, it's just a great, a great path for families. And it goes around this pond, and in the spring, there's snakes everywhere the kids try and catch. They've caught turtles there. And... One of the times we were there, we even saw a snake give birth to live young, which was remarkable. I've never seen it before. I've never seen it since. Uh, This this mother snake 
gave birth to three or four little baby snakes right on the trail, and they slithered off into the grass. It was fascinating. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a great path, and it's got trees to climb and vines to swing on, some different boardwalk elements, and, you know, we do that several times throughout the year, that one-mile hike. And that's just one of the parts of the state recreation area. Um, the state recreation area also has like, many other trails. It has a pine forest that was planted by a Native American Indian chief, um, where so the the trees are planted on, in all these straight rows. Rows. It's really cool looking. There's a swimming spot with a dam, and it has a um, a little waterfall area and. Um, and this long dock the kids can run and jump off of. You can fish there. There's, you know, picnic tables and charcoal grills and, you know, just everything you can think of. The kids have a blast every time we go and we try and go a lot. We try and go with friends. Well, the first time we went to this state recreation area was in the late spring. Our kids were really little. We had never been there before. We didn't know anything about it. And you know, I will say it is hard to try new nature places. Uh, part of the catalyst for starting 1,000 Hours Outside was to start to be able to post pictures and information to let other families know where to go. You know, I'm avidly looking at my friends' Facebook pages or their Instagram accounts to um, find out where they're at. And, you know, even just this last summer, I found... Um, I was able to go to some really neat places because someone else had posted pictures. It, it happened several times. You know, well, where is this? Where is the spot where you're catching frogs? Where is this shallow creek that you were swimming in? And networking like that, we're able to find these really engaging spots for kids. Um, well, this particular state recreation area, we never been to. We didn't know anybody who had been there. And... Um, so, you know, we were it was kind of like a needle in the in a haystack trying to figure out what what part of the, you know, trail to go on and um you know, oftentimes there are not rangers that you can ask. You just have to you just have to try it out. And usually usually things work out, but occasionally they don't and and when they don't, you just chalk it up to a loss and you try again. So, we're at the state, re state recreation area. It's late spring. We thought this pine forest trail sounded really cool. And so off we went. You know, we were trying to follow the map and the signage. And it turned out that the trail we picked was oh, just in a really swampy, low-level, marshy area. And we got swarmed swarmed by mosquitoes, like being in a sandstorm, but it was mosquitoes. And it was so awful. We had to run out with our kids, just sprint on out of there. We ended up leaving the park and um, we did a fair amount of research actually before we went back. So, um, and it turns out it's an awesome park. There are so many things to do there. And the issue was not the park. It was that we chose the wrong location for that season. We should have chose that wide one-mile trail that went around the pond, but we didn't know about it. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot, and for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. 
but I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high-quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum-sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last-minute get-together recently, and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chop's hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chop's price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com outside120 and use code outside120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code outside120 at goodchop.com outside120 for $120 off. Goodchop.com outside120 code outside 120. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com 1000. That's drinkag1.com 1000. Check it out. And so if there are places that you know of, you know, great places for kitchen, for fishing, great places with different, you know, hiking trails of all different lengths, maybe ones that would be good for toddlers or ones that would be more challenging for teenagers. If you know of places where there are bathrooms, places that are great um, and handicapped accessible, you know, places where... Um, it would be easy for a child on a wheelchair. Maybe it's flat or paved. It's important that families know the places that work for them, you know, um, if they have children with special needs. You know, where are the places where it's not real muddy? Uh, I think a lot of times parents want to know where are the places that are stroller-friendly. Stroller so all of these things we can collaborate on, and, you know, it won't be so hard to find. And we won't have to hash it out ourselves. So if you go to the wrong location, um, then chances are you're not going to be able to stay very long and you might have a rough time. Location can make or break your outside experience. Uh, at that state park, that state recreation area, there is this huge open field that in the spring or fall is great. The kids just run around. There is nothing there but an open field in this one spot. And surprisingly with some friends, they're super occupied 
I could set out a picnic blanket and, you know, they would run around for, for several hours in the spring or in the fall. But in the summer, it's just too hot. You know, if it's 95 degrees and 90% humidity and you're baking in the sun, you know, everyone's going to be miserable and complaining. So it's not going to be a good experience. So in the winter, when we're talking about location, we only go to outdoor locations that have an indoor option. In the other months when it's not so frigid, our list of places to go is rather endless, almost in an overwhelming way. I know everybody likes to do their bucket list in the summer and, you know, in the three months of the year when the weather isn't so cold, the amount of places that we can go, I mean, we just couldn't even hit them all. There's so many. There are so many fabulous nature things to do with kids once you start digging around to try and find them. So it's awesome. You have this endless list of of things to do outside. But in the winter, when those temperatures drop below freezing, we only have a handful of suitable options. So outdoor locations that have an indoor option tend to be either nature centers or zoos. Um, And within an hour of us, we're in southeast Michigan. There are maybe 10 or so of those that are an option. So what do we need that indoor option for? Well, there's lots of reasons, but let's just start with the obvious one, and that is the bathroom. It's a perfectly good reason about why you need an indoor option. You know, in the winter, it takes a lot of extra time to bundle kids up. They have all sorts of layers and outerwear, and it's a lot of effort. It's really different than throwing on a pair of shorts and a t-shirt and some flip-flops and heading out the door. In the winter, there's a lot more to think to think through. And so once you get somewhere... You know, you don't want your time to be cut short just because there's no bathroom. So indoor places are, are going to have bathrooms inside, um, and that's going to really help extend your outside time. If you, if you need that, you can just run in there real quick. Beyond the bathroom, though, nature centers and zoos, they have um, engaging, extremely engaging nature elements inside their buildings, and... So, you know, that's fun in and of itself. We went to a new nature center just um, the other week, and one of the things they had inside was a composting bin, and it was just filled with dirt, and and you took the lid off of it. They had shovels in there, and, and so the kids started to dig around, and it was filled with worms, and they didn't want to leave. It was so fun for them, and something that you know, they're not able to do during the winter months. They can't dig in the dirt and can't dig around and, and see what's in there. It was actually hard to get them away from that spot, and, and they're all excited to go back there. So it was a fun little hands-on experiment or experience, good for their fine motor skills. And so many of the nature centers and zoos, they have things like that. You know, they're going to have little critters like turtles and snakes and fish and salamanders and lizards and... Um, One of the nature centers near us has a little rabbit that the kids can kind of go inside and and sit with in a little caged area, and they love that. And, you know, they'll have around on the walls and maybe hanging from the ceiling some larger stuffed animals that the kids really like to look at. You know, usually there's some sort of a touch table with antlers and snake skins and, and different cool, you know, pieces of wood and logs and driftwood. Um... And then a lot of them have um, like loose loose play or open-ended toys like wooden blocks or, or 
different puzzles. Sometimes there's coloring areas where the kids can um, do like different rubbings of animal tracks. And then information just all over the place on the walls and in books. So these nature centers are great for for just an engaging experience, an engaging nature experience, even in the winter. So you go in, you've got a bathroom, you've got this, you know, really cool uh, list of options of things that you can do while you're in the nature center. And then it's just a place where you could sit and have a snack. And some places even have little picnic tables um, so that you could stay for a little bit longer. You know, you've put the work in to get your kids outside and, you know, if that time runs over lunch, then you want to be able to have a place where you can go sit down, take your gloves or mittens off, and and uh, rejuvenate. And so, you know, kids get hungry moving around outside. And if it's too cold to take gloves or mittens off and they can't have a little snack, you might not last very long. So most of these places are pretty accommodating. You know, they'll probably have a specific spot, and maybe it's small where you can sit and have a snack, but usually they do have one, and, and they're very nice about it. So, um, you know, an outdoor location with an indoor option gives you all those opportunities, and then just the opportunity to warm up for a little bit. Um, sometimes we sometimes we need that as both adults and children, And so that indoor option actually helps extend your outside time because you could break it up into two or three chunks instead of, you know, going somewhere and having to leave because you've gotten too cold. Sometimes all we need is just a a 15-minute break from the cold temperatures, and then we're ready to go back outside for a little bit longer. You know, the bonus of these nature centers and the zoos um, is that they all have a lot of outdoor options, you know, in the surroundings. The nature centers that we go to, all of them, they have extensive trails carved out, you know, trails either for hiking or for snowshoeing. Some even have cross-country ski trails. And they have trails of all sorts of varying lengths. So um, depending on the age of your child, usually you can find something that works. And a lot of them have wheelchair accessible paths or a path that's relatively flat without a lot of ups and downs. And so when you go to a nature center, you'll have all these options of things to do that are outside. Some of them even have just really fun things to play on, like, like a huge tree house or, um, you know, maybe a big sand pit. So, a sledding hill, nature centers and zoos, you know, even though um, we're sort of confined to to those things in the winter, we do love going to those places. So, and a zoo is going to be similar. You know, a lot of times there'll be a small restaurant where you could, you know, buy food there or bring your own. They're obviously going to also have restrooms. And, you know, zoos have a lot of indoor buildings usually, like a reptile house, or an aquarium. Uh, one near us has a butterfly house. And so sometimes when it's bitter cold, we'll bundle up and we just kind of quickly walk from building to building. We still get some fresh air and some outside time, um, but that helps to break up the cold temperatures. So when it's bitter cold in Michigan, and it is often bitter cold, we find outdoor locations with indoor options. And that's that's the bulk of the places that we go besides our home. So the second thing to help get outside time in the cold weather has to do with clothing. 
And this is something I've learned in the past five or six years. You know, I would say as parents, we tend to purchase clothing mainly for fashion and and for cost. You know, we see, you know, cute, cute new trends or things we want to buy our kids. They look cute in. So that's one reason. And then, you know, also cost is a huge factor when children are growing and when they're messy. So, you know, it seems unwise to spend a lot of money on clothing items that they outgrow and can ruin so quickly. But if we're going to prioritize our time outside, we also have to start thinking through the utility of the clothes that we buy. So we're going to talk about how different fabrics function differently when we wear them. Specifically, uh, we're going to talk about the uh, about wool and the benefits of wearing wool. There is this age-old saying that we should wear wool in any month that has an R in it. So, you know, that's going to depend on what part of the world you live in and also what language you speak, where your cold months land on the calendar. But where we are at in Michigan, in the United States, we're talking about um, our our months are September, October, November, December, January, February, March, and April. So that's a good that's a good chunk of the year. And we don't actually wear a wool layer all of those months. But you know, once the temperatures hit hit around 50 degrees Fahrenheit or lower, um, that wool underlayer really makes a difference um, and really impacts how long we are comfortable outside. Wool is actually also good for the summer months, um, but that will be a different podcast episode. So let's talk about wool and and the difference between wearing a wool garment and maybe something made out of a different material like cotton. Why should we put our kids in wool in the winter instead of cotton? And does it really make that much of a difference? So wool is actually a hair fiber, right? It comes from sheep. We all know that. Cotton is a plant. And it is interesting when you, you know, when you think about the the animals, like sheep is not panting in the summer and it's not cold in the winter. So this hair fiber is perfectly suited for changes in temperature. Uh, and what makes this different, this wool fiber different and special, is the shape of it. Um, the wool hair fiber is in the shape of a coil, a tight little coil, almost like you could picture like a spring. And um, and most of the time, you know, the wool fibers are pretty soft. If you think about petting a sheep, maybe if you have your own or you've been to a farm, um the sheep are actually pretty soft, you know, almost like a stuffed animal. So depending on the type of sheep and maybe what that what that wool fiber is is mixed with, maybe a different type of fabric, um, you know, wool underlayers can be very soft. They don't have to be scratchy. Like we a lot of times think of wool as being scratchy and uncomfortable, but it's not necessarily the case. So sheep have these coil-like hair fibers, and within the little coils, there are microscopic spaces. So what happens when we wear wool and we go outside is, you know, as we start to move, our body perspires. And even if it's not a lot, you know, we may sweat just a little bit. And what happens is um, the wool is able to absorb that moisture. So we go outside and, you know, we're moving and children are drawn to move and, and we're moving around and... um the wool begins to, through water vapor, 
um, absorb that moisture into those tiny microscopic spaces in the coils. So what happens as the sweat is wicked away is that um, the water vapors and the f- and the fibers they react together. They there's a chemical reaction and they react together to create energy, and that energy is in the form of heat. Eating better is easy with Factors delicious, ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember, to sign up and save, we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. When the skies open up while others seek shelter, I embrace the rain. Heading to my favorite hike, the raindrops are like a soothing melody and my vessies ensure each step is dry and comfortable turning a simple outing into a rather delightful experience. Whenever my kids and I are stepping into a great outdoors adventure, I love wearing Vessi's Stormburst boots to capture the beauty of springtime landscapes. Their robust style is perfect for our nature excursions, adding a little dash of elegance to our outdoor explorations. This spring, transform how you view wet weather with Vessi. Their Dymatex technology makes their shoes not just waterproof, but a stylish barrier against rain and puddles. Whether it's a sudden downpour or a planned seaside walk, Vessi shoes ensure your feet stay dry and comfortable. Embrace the essence of spring with Vessi. From chic city walks to adventurous treks, find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at Vessi.com outside and enjoy an automatic 15% off your first order upon checkout. That's V-E-S-S-I dot com slash outside for 15% off your first order. So let me say that again. The wool and the water vapor react. They have a chemical reaction and that generates heat. So that means that certain types of clothing can produce heat. And in fact, two pounds of heat, two pounds of wool can generate as much heat as an electric blanket. So this is like totally wild stuff, right? So we have noticed it from the very beginning that when we put our children in their wool underlayer, you know, when we would come home from a day of being outside and we would change them, you know, into their pajamas or or to take a bath, you know, their little bellies would feel like an oven um, because what, what was happening is that 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 woolen piece of clothing was actually creating heat for them the entire time we were outside and moving around. Um, So 
Wool can absorb up to 30% of its weight in water. And um, and some have said that that's even a, a possible life-saving fact. You know, if a child were to fall through the ice um, or, or get wet in some other way and it was really cold outside, you know, that wool is going to give that child, you know, a little bit of extra time because it's going to absorb a lot of the water. It can absorb quite a bit. Uh, and in contrast, you think about cotton and, you know, cotton just gets sopping wet and stays sopping wet for a really long time unless you throw it into a dryer. So cotton is not generating heat. Um, and and when we're wet, we're cold. You know, that pulling that moisture away from the skin also helps to keep us warm. So, um, you know, I'd go outside in any temperature if I felt like if I was wearing an electric blanket. So that is what it feels like. And um, we've noticed that, you know, when we've been outside, maybe it's been in the 20 degrees, 20 degree Fahrenheit weather. And, you know, the kids are wearing a wool underlayer and then they, you know, usually have something over that, you know, a shirt and a pair of pants. And then their winter coat and gloves and a hat. And, you know, after a period of time of running around, they'll often ask to take their coat off for a little bit. They really get that hot. So it just shows, it just goes to show how much heat these, these wool garments produce. So, you know, we, we feel they are worth their weight in gold. Um, they do tend to be kind of expensive, though, you know, some people make their own, you know, buying oversized wool sweaters from a thrift store and they, and they, um, you know, sew them into a smaller garments for their kids. That's an option. You could buy them used sometimes, but you know, a wool garment, one wool garment is going to cost for a child between 40 and $50 usually. So, you know, one shirt or one pair of pants, it depends really on how much fabric is used. So it's a little cheaper when they're infants and a little more expensive as they, as they get older. It's not the same across the board. Um, so wool tends to be, you know, four to five times more expensive than cotton. But interestingly enough, it's seven times more durable. So a wool fiber, because of that coil and that spring-like shape, a wool fiber can bend up to 20,000 times before breaking. Um, whereas a cotton fiber can only bend around 3,000 times before it breaks. And so we have noticed that our wool clothes have considerable durability. We buy a size big and they easily last two seasons, even with a considerable amount of wear. And then we're also able to pass them down. So usually we're getting, you know, three seasons out of a 40 or $50 underlayer that's worn for several months out of the year. And, you know, so, and when you break the cost down that way, it really is not that much over the long haul. So, um, you know, what we did was we just started off with one thing. We started off with um, a long sleeve shirt for all of our children. Then the next year we added on pants. And then eventually we did a tank top for sort of an extra um, an extra layer of protection. And we've passed on down from kid to kid. And so each year it's just sort of filling gaps. And um, so in that way it has not been all that expensive to keep up with. Um, and then beyond that, you know, we use the wool, the woolens for other things. We use them when our children are sick, 
you know, if their clothing is helping them maintain their body temperature, then their body can use its energy resources um, in other ways. And so their sicknesses never last as long. Wool is antimicrobial, which means it's not going to smell. It doesn't need to be washed all that often. You know, even with extensive use, you know, maybe once a week you can spot clean if it gets dirty. Wool is really easy to clean. People are always nervous about that. You just don't throw it in the dryer. So we buy a wool shampoo, you know, because remember it's a hair. So a wool shampoo, our bottle of wool shampoo has lasted I mean, for five or six years, there's still a ton in there. We put a small capful in the washing machine on a gentle cycle, and we put the woolens in like a little mesh bag, and it's easy. We pull them out, we lay it flat to dry, and they look, I mean, they just still look brand new. It's pretty incredible. So our um, a brand that we really love is Chasing Windmills Kids, and um, their stuff is cute, as cute as can be. So if you're going to spend $40 on a shirt, you want it to be cute, right? Um, Really cute and extremely durable. So we bought for the first time from them, we bought from them last year. And so we're in our second year of wear and everything still seems brand new and looks brand new. So um, woolens will help you to stay outside longer. It makes a significant difference if children are wearing clothing that heats up when they run around as opposed to gets wet and stays wet. So cotton's going to keep them cold. Wool is going to heat up heat up and generate heat and keep them warm. We do um, wool socks as well. Each kid has two pairs and the same thing. You know, we pass them down. They're 10 to $12 a pair. Those are easier to find on sale. Um... And we pass them down from kid to kid and, you know, they've held up great. So, you know, there are certainly other options beyond beyond those things. You could get balaclavas or hats or gloves. Uh, there's wool jackets. I think you can even buy wool underwear. So you can get into it as much as you want. But we have found just to have that base layer plus a pair of socks makes a huge difference. So, um Beyond choosing an outdoor location with an indoor option and wearing wool as a base layer, uh, I think if we just embrace snow activities and we embrace how much kids love them, that will help us to get outside in the winter as well. You know, kids are just drawn to the snow and they're drawn to the ice. They love to try and balance on the ice and stay upright. They love stomping through deep snow. They can build with snow just like how they build with sand. Such a great open-ended activity for their imagination and creativity um, to make snowballs and snowmen and snow angels and igloos and forts and huge hills. You know, it's easy to find recipes for snow paint. So you can really get creative with all that white stuff out there. And kids love to do that. When we were kids, we loved tunneling through the huge mounds of snow and and making small spaces we could go into um, or making like big walls we could hide behind and have snowball fights. I I specifically remember loving shoveling with my dad. You know, we get up and it would be in the early morning and it would be dark and quiet and um, there would be freshly fallen snow and we would shovel together. So I loved doing that. So if you have a good pair of boots and some waterproof gloves, it's really fun and memorable to get outside and to do those things. You know, obviously sledding is such a blast, sledding or tubing, and it's a considerable amount of exercise going up and down the hill. You know, you can run around your yard pulling kids inside of a sled. Ice fishing is an option. 
skiing is an option. People, um, we're not skiers, but um, you know, we have some friends, and their their kids can ski as early as age two. Cross country skiing is an option uh, for kids who are the right age, and many places will rent those for cheap during the winter. Um, snowshoeing is a fun family activity. See, maybe if you could borrow some. Um, one of the nature centers by us has bags and bags of all sorts of different sizes of snowshoes that you can borrow for the day. You just leave your license and you can take those out on a hike. So if we remember how these experiences um, will last will last with our children for a lifetime, that will help motivate us to take them outside, even when it's really cold. You know, if you follow any of the outdoor preschoolers or, or kindergartens, or if you're in a you know one of the thousand hours outside Facebook groups, you'll see photo after photo of kids who are just delighted to be outside in the snow. They are absolutely thrilled. You know they look at the world differently than we do, and so we can be motivated by their little faces to make sure that we get our kids outside in the cold weather. The fourth thing that you can do is to just change your mindset on how much time you're going to get outside. Um, I would say our summertime is maybe close to double our winter time. You know, we're we're aiming for 18 to 20 hours a week. And in the summer, you know, usually we do more and in the winter we might do we might do less. And you know, it's no problem to be outside for 4 to 6 hours in a day if you've got food and it's and it's nice weather out. But in the in the winter maybe it's only 2 to 3 hours a day. I think 3 is probably the the very upward limit of, you know, how long that we can be outside when it's freezing cold. You know, usually the kids last between an hour and two hours, and that's about it. And so we've just adjusted our expectations, and we know that, you know, over the course of a year, um, you know, we're still going to get in a considerable amount of time outside, and and we're really going to rack up some experiences. So, you know, if your kids are old enough and um, they can get their, their gear on themselves, some families send the kids out every hour for 10 to 15 minutes. You know, on a Saturday or a Sunday, you know, maybe at 2 o'clock, you send them out for a little bit and see how long they last and then send them out again at 3 or or something like that. And so over the course of the day, those little bits of time will add up. And over the course of the year, uh, those little bits of time and experiences will add up and will help with their development. So just adjust your expectations. And then the last idea where it just revolves around the idea of simplification and and simplifying our schedules. It's definitely something that people are talking about, you know, minimalism beyond um, the things that we own also has to do with the way that we live our lives. And so when we have a little bit more of a, um, a schedule that's light and is not packed in, we have the space to go outside on the days that seem the best. And so what we do, you know, at the beginning of the week is we'll look ahead at the weather and and try and find three or four days that seem suitable. And, you know, within those three or four days, which parts of the day might be the best for getting outside. And that's sort of how we schedule our life. And, um, you know, we don't have a bunch of other activities that we're having to work around, you know, because when a day comes that's good and and um, a good option for for spending time outside, we want to make sure that we can we can use that. Um, the impact of outside time, as it relates to the development of children, 
is so much more important than so many of the other activities we could choose, you know, and possibly maybe the most important activity aside from reading because it hits, you know, all areas of development. It helps them physically and it helps emotionally. It helps children academically. It helps um, with their creativity, um, their social skills. And so, you know, you get a lot of bang for your buck when you go outside with your kids. And so I would rather do something like that. And usually it's it's uh, minimal cost as well. Um, I would rather have that be, you know, the thing that we spend most of our time doing and make sure that we're not overscheduled in other ways. So it is definitely possible to get outside in the winter and really embrace it and enjoy it. It's so good for our kids. Um, it's a great opportunity to build lifelong memories with our kids and support their, you know, development along the way. So stick with it, even when it feels like you'd rather be inside, because it is worth your time to play outside. Hey, are you a parent of a teenager? Are you feeling overwhelmed about how to be what they need while also holding limits and boundaries that keep them safe? Are you tired of conversations that negate how messy this season of parenting is? Well, I've got you. My name is Casey O'Rourke. I am a positive discipline trainer, parent coach, and the host of the Joyful Courage podcast. Every week I come to you with an interview, digging into tough topics with experts I trust and solo shows that go deep into the personal growth and mindset needed to raise teens in a way that grows them into confident, capable young people. I am not afraid of getting real about the intersection of conscious parenting and the teen years, while also bringing in vulnerability, humor, and lightness. I'm walking the path with you and honored to serve. Listen to Joyful Courage on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts.